we're basically creating a business to help onboard and educate new artists into NFTs so they can create music and art NFT projects. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of those sort of the business is focused around helping other people. So hopefully it has like a multiplier effect. Right. Um, and, and part of what we were talking about just the other day when we were doing our deck um, for that project was part of this is really like, like this is the real thing we want to do. Like we want to help black and brown, like the people who are creating the music right. and that culture. It's nice that someone like Snoop Dogg has really had visibility and, and can, and can make, can put himself in the metaverse with Eminem and, but he can afford to make mistakes and he's, right. and, you know, he, he's a mega, mega super duper millionaire right now. Um, you know, the real issue, and he's the exception, right? He's exceptional. But the real, the real issue is like onboarding, like, at, you know, more and more people who are artists who don't have money and don't have experience. And so if we can build those structures, um, mm -hmm. it's really exciting. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future. Because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am so very excited to welcome Michael Kasdan to the show. He's a partner at the law firm of Wigan and Dana in the firm's intellectual property practice group. He also co-chairs the firm's blockchain and digital assets group and chairs the firm's trade secret group. And I invited him on to give an overview of the IP issues in the NFT space and also best practices for creatives and those building in or engaging with the Web3 creative economy. That is a huge topic, even though it is quite specific. So we will parse through this. I believe it's the first, but definitely not the last, in order to really lean into this idea of navigating the emerging NFT space from a legal point of view. So we'll talk about all of that and more in a moment. But first, Michael, welcome. Thank you so much, Tanya. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, it's a long time coming. At first, you were my friend in my head. Then we did some <laughs> things like on panels. You're yeah. like one of my best Twitter besties. <laughs> um, I adore you for many reasons, but thank you so much for continuing to amplify my excellence on, on all the channels uh, on the interwebs, because this is the type of space where community is really, really important. And also, there's so few people like us, who can completely nerd out at the intersection of technology and IP, specifically yeah. in a Web3 space. So for so many reasons, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. And uh, and I'm looking, I've been looking forward to it for a lot of the same reasons. And I remember, I think when we first met, I had reached out to you because because I saw, I was like, oh, there's this famous professor who's saying <laughs> all these smart things in, in magazines. And I was like, I wonder if she would speak on my licensing executive society new york panel mm -hmm. um and that's how we first met it's been really awesome uh you know getting to know you better and and, and finding all the, all the all the common ground absolutely well there's a ton of common ground and i want to set the stage so that people can understand a bit about your background and how you even found yourself you know as a, a as a lawyer who practiced for 10 years before i started teaching 
Um, and I've been in academia for 16, 17 years. I know a bit about what it's like to build a practice and you you may partner. Obviously, you didn't start in this space. How did you find your way to the space to kind of reinvent and reimagine and lean into technology and IP as it continues to evolve? Yeah, so I mean, I've been an IP lawyer for, for 20 years, and I now I'm lucky enough I have one toe into academia, which is as an adjunct professor. So I teach a licensing course uh, at NYU uh, where I went to school. So that that's fun. But in terms of, you know, my practice, I, I was a pretty standard um, IP litigator when I first started my career. Um, my background is electrical engineering. So I did mostly patent litigation, started off working for uh, Kirkland and Ellis, and then moved on to a boutique firm, but continued to do IP patent litigation. Uh, some trademark litigation, but when you have a technical background, they tend to push you onto the patent stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I had the opportunity to actually uh, go abroad for a couple of years and work for uh, one of our clients, Panasonic, in their licensing department. And that was really eye-opening because I'd only seen to that date sort of litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, wow, there are licensing deals, and there's all this business stuff. And um, and that, that was a really fun experience. When I came back, I started focusing more on licensing and more on the transactional side. And I'd always really enjoyed working with startup companies and emerging companies. Since law school, we kind of had a couple of incubators that, that you know, the law school and the business school uh, jointly sort of acted together to help help startup folks. And I always liked that. And so, you know, sort of fast forward, um, you know, so I had sort of a full service IP practice, both the litigation side and the transactional side. And uh, yeah, my brother started talking to me about, about Bitcoin and Ethereum. And he was like, you should listen to this podcast and this youtube guy and i was like i don't think i'm gonna do that <laughs> and uh you know i'm like how long it is he's like, oh it's two hours but he's really smart and i was like i don't, I don't listen to anything for two hours and um but then i got a client who wanted to do a blockchain related patent mm. and learned about the technology and it was a really interesting use case um and then you know i just you know through that les panel and some other things people were interested in the topic so i tried to teach myself about it and put together a presentation that I ended up giving at different startup schools and, and to some different consulting companies and just started writing about it and talking to more people about it, like you mm-hmm. said. And I quickly found that it was like this great combination of two spaces that I really enjoyed, which was, which is the emerging company space, a lot of startups, a lot of energy, a lot right. of people building stuff, but maybe kind of need legal guidance. And also this, a lot of the issues when I looked at them were really like licensing issues because the mm-hmm. IP is kind of the heart of a lot of these digital assets. And so I was like, hey, I've been doing licensing for a long time and I've been doing startup stuff for a long time. And that's how I kind of you know, jumped into this space. We have a very similar path. I remember my entry point was in 2017, I believe. And ICO boom was really just starting to happen. For those who don't know what that acronym is, uh, initial coin offerings. It was the great boom and bust when all of a sudden the proliferation of so many tokens in the Ethereum ecosystem at the time. And it was also a space where people were talking about blockchain, not Bitcoin. It was an interesting thing. We we're probably just on the, the precipice of another kind of bear market moving into a bull run. I didn't know what this magical internet money was. And you as a lawyer also know, we worked our asses off to get our <laughs> to be a bard. And by bard, it's a good thing in our world. I'm not losing mine under, I'm licensed in four states and I'm not losing any of them under any circumstances. But at at that time, also as an academic, starting to, in the same way I think you did, really at least appreciate, wow, this is really interesting in terms of the technology and some of the intellectual property issues that were coming up. And 
thinking through at the time. I was like counting the hundreds of patents that were coming through. It was very early in the patent um, yeah, prosecution yeah. process, but companies were filing them, new ones, old, you know, legacy ones. And I wanted our students to at least be able to be conversant in the space because they were going to be needed to answer all the questions that you just raised. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And a lot of it, as we as we grew this this blockchain group that we started, uh, it was client driven. Clients were coming right. to us and saying, "Hey, we want we might want to do an NFT, but we have this agreement with our photographer. Do we have all the rights we need?" And you know, it started with just sort of sharing articles and sharing information with my art law folks and my corporate folks. And uh, but it's exactly that. You know, the world is kind of moving, and you know, eventually you're going to come ask you for guidance. The two things that you reminded me of that really excite me about this space, um, just like as a human and as a and as an IP lawyer, but as a human first, is kind of the ethos of, of blockchain right. to really, you know, and I know you focused on, on some of this in your writing, but the ethos to sort of bring it back down to the individual, the creator, the community level, uh, return control over data, over money, over profits. And and that to me is like really, really exciting on a number of levels. Um, So I love that. And part of, you know, the thing I have my eye on is, you know, are we going to deliver on that promise? Or are we going to sort or are we going to all of a sudden the same kind of power structures and players come in and kind of recreate a system in Web3 and call it Web3? And so that's that's why I'm so excited to work with, with so many you know entrepreneurs and try and, you know, give them good guidance. And then the second the second thing that really turned me on to NFTs and, and frankly, a lot of my a lot of other lawyers see metaverse and kind of, you know, roll their eyes and <laughs> see NFTs. Good. So, it's more business for us. I read something about that, but I heard it's like it's crypto and it's fraud and we shouldn't do that. And but so I think, you know, lawyers are generally speaking, you know, slow moving conservative type institutions and people. But um but for me, it, it's really simple, right? Like we're we're creating more and more digital data every day, every second. We're spending more time in digital spaces like this one, like Zoom, like metaverse, like video games, maybe for my kids. But we're in digital spaces. When I talk to my dad and tell him about these billion dollar economies inside of video games. Right. Um, he says, well, maybe someday that will happen. And I'm like, no, that's happening right now. Mm. And by the way, in this Zoom box, like we're in a metaverse. Uh, we're in a digital space. I can have digital stuff and, and use it and appreciate the value of that. And so in a world where we're creating more and more digital stuff and spending more and more time in digital spaces, and as an IP lawyer, blockchain is the first technology I've seen that gives you the potential to monetize digital stuff. So to me, it's kind of crazy for an IP lawyer not to be really excited about the space and be really a part of it. So those are really great points. And as you were talking, it made me think of the ways, and and I'm interested in your thoughts about this, the ways to describe to the average person without kind of looking under the hood to see how the car, (laughs) you know, is connected and drives. We don't talk about that. We just know that the car takes us from point A to point B. And we both understand the extraordinary value, or at least the potential for a decentralized environment where people in general, and certainly creatives for purposes of our conversation, become recentered in terms of ownership and, 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 and economy. But in order to get people there, maybe even taking a step back from a Web2 perspective and a centralized perspective, what are some of the challenges and concerns in our current kind of centralized environment that make us so excited about the potential for Web3 in a, in a decentralized world. 
You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, so I mean, your, your question, it's such an interesting one because I think about sort of the, the breakfast conversations I have like with my dad and my son. Right. And, you know, and, 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 and I feel like I'm sort of like in the middle and so, you know, how do you talk about this in a way that makes it accessible um, without getting really down in the weeds with technology and, you know, you know, chains and Ethereum and everyone? Yeah. Um, Timestamp, black. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and but I think I think the way to do it is to on some level, like talk about the use cases that make sense. Like, for example, the first company that I work with in the blockchain space is this company, Yellow Heart. Their uh, digital ticketing platform, mm -hmm. and and when I looked at it, you know, and you know, music business has a big scalping problem. Every time you put out a concert, the scalpers come and buy all the tickets and sell them at these incredible markups, and that's bad. Bad for the artists who don't get a percentage of those markups. It's bad for the fans who don't get the tickets. And so he, so so Yellow Hearts blockchain system was very, a very very good use case because he said, well, you know, we know all the wallets that are buying tickets. We can profile them. We can build into a smart contract. Don't sell to any wallet that profiles as a scalper or only sell 20% to that. Right. Um, and you can also build in because of the ability to also track, you know, secondary sales and get royalties based on that. You can also say, well, when that scalper sells that ticket to the Beyonce concert for $400, having bought it for $100, we want 25% of that to flow back to the artist or the right. venue. And I was like, well, that makes perfect sense. That's great. And there are tons of use cases like that even in old stodgy real world businesses like real estate title and insurance title. Like, and I think, I think we're starting to see more familiar companies also take advantage of some of the other use cases and use it to sort of like build community like Starbucks. And, right. um, you know, you see, I think as more of that happens as the, as the use cases become, you know, clear, I think it's easier to understand, you know, on some level, but, but I think, but it's interesting. I think the way, you know, why, what was bad about Web 2 and why do we need Web 3? And I think, you know, the way I think about that is it's like an issue. I think the easiest way to explain it, because it's such an issue that permeates everyone's lives, is you know, we basically created a system where we reward pipelines over creators. And, mm. and, and the internet, you know, as we know it, like Web 2 is this place where we're, it always seemed kind of strange to me, like, like the people who write stuff and, I, and I'm a writer on the side, like there's, it's almost like free. Like there's no value put on, on stuff because there's so much stuff on the internet and so easy to copy. And the companies that are taking the sort of the lion shares of the profits are the Facebooks and the Googles and, and, you know, they provide a service of bringing your content to a large base. But in the end, you know, you have a system where the, the artists and creators and designers who are creating the actual IP you know, look at something like Spotify, the amount of money that an artist gets on a play right. Spotify as opposed to everyone else. And it's it's kind of backwards. And so, you know, the ability to 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 for to to for artists and creators to control their IP, license their IP, do creative stuff with it, not have to rely on someone else, some intermediary and give up your all your profits and all your control. That to me is what's really kind of exciting about it.
Yeah, and it really turns, you know, as I'm thinking through, and and you know, I've I've published this article recently with Pepperdine Law, very proud uh, about that de-gentrified Black genius. I had to go back in history to look at just copyright laws in general. I didn't take a hugely deep dive. I have other scholarship to do that. But when I even think about, you know, the statute of Anne and going back that far, copyright protections weren't really intended for artists. It was really protecting the ultimate intermediaries at the time, right? Protecting the gatekeepers, protecting the publishers. We started to shift that when I think about like the 1976 act, I'm not going to completely walk out because then it'll just be you and me (laughs) and any other IP lawyers who might listen. But, you know, you know, also written quite a bit about this idea of copyright termination and, and how is it that years later, an artist can at some point start to recoup something when it's really difficult to ascertain the value of it when people are signing these licensing and other deals, right? You enter a deal on the prospect that something is going to be valuable. You don't know the actual value and so much IP is actually more valuable when people pass away. Right. right? I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, it's a great point. And, you know, objectively speaking, I mean, the copyright laws are kind of a mess. Like, a mess. All this lobbied extensions and wine. It's almost it's impossible to figure out whether something is public domain or not. There's so many right. barriers. And like you said, those barriers aren't like accidental. Side That's of correct. Things. Kind of, you know, they're kind of why things were put into place. And so I think it's really important to sort of think about those issues. And, and you know, if we're reshaping a new space and if this new space is supposed to be more equitable and more inclusive, then we have to think about those larger policy issues. And for me, it's been, I've been so happy to be in the space because almost in parallel with me getting involved in Web3, you know, my firm also has this Wigan Opportunity Initiative, this pro bono mm-hmm. program to work with um, minority-owned businesses, so women-owned businesses and black and brown-owned businesses, LGBTQ plus businesses. And so that, around that same time, I started going to some of these conferences and a lot of the people that were attending were minority-owned businesses saying, right. hey, like, we want to actually succeed in this new Web3 world. This is kind of our chance. Um, and to be able to work with a lot of those companies to build real stuff and to give them real IP advice um, has been great. It's been a great learning opportunity for me and and hopefully, you know, sort of do my small part in sort of helping there too. Yeah, that's one of the things that's most exciting to me and, and also frustrating when I am speaking to folks who maybe they come from a democratic point of view or they're working on social justice and economic justice issues and they, for whatever reason, I think a lot of it has to do with FUD or, or fear, uncertainty and doubt in the space. And so, you know, I'm working my keister off and I know you are too, to at least address the disinformation and misinformation in the space, to empower people with information so they at least can make an informed choice. But when I think about the potential and the power, I think of it from an economic justice perspective. I think about artists actually being able to, on based upon smart contracts that automate the facilitation or performance, I should say, of certain things, if then. It doesn't matter what your color is or what you have or don't have or where you live, if then. That is automated. And they can remove boundaries, you know, if you do it right. If you do it wrong, they can also insert other boundaries. Absolutely. Hardwired in, right? Yeah, that makes it, you know, when I think of from economic justice, creative justice, social justice, this is what we have to work really hard. And you mentioned earlier, so we're not replicating because right now the people who have a lot of money to 
throw into NFTs and buy hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to throw, you know, to have a board ape or whatever. There are people who are already centered in wealth that can, you know, the upside is good, the downside is good. Sometimes they're playing, sometimes they're investing. You are listening to the Tech Intersect podcast with Professor Tanya M. Evans. Powered by Advantage Evans. But there is an opportunity, as you mentioned. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what are well, some of the opportunities when you talk to folks who have been systemically marginalized from a creative or an economic point of view? What are some of the ways that you talk them through to say, how they can successfully navigate in the in the space. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I just want to touch on one one thing that, that you that you just said um, that that reminded me of a point I wanted to make, which is that it's a little bit of like a double edged sword. Like on, on the one sense, I'm like, ooh, like Mastercard's coming in and and Facebook is coming in, right? And, and look, like Starbucks is doing an NFT stuff. So because uh, on the one hand, I think people who are in the space are very desperate for validation. Right. Um, and when big companies come in, the big fashion brands, another good example, spending lots of money, it's good evidence to take back and show like, hey, see, this isn't, this, this isn't, uh, this, this, this has some staying power. Right. This is just going to go away. It's not just some weird thing of people buying pictures of apes, right? It's right. like a real thing with real use cases. But on the other hand, like, like we were saying, you don't want those big businesses to just replicate what they did. And so I think it's in, in terms of talking to 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 small business owners and i think this space is like it's like the startup space that i'm used to being in but like on speed like fast and there's even even more uncertainty but even more opportunity and i think you know part of it you know is education and making sure that people are are knowledgeable and you know in my instance mostly ip strategy and have good advice and i think one thing that i contended with um, when i first started talking in the space was the belief that copyright law was that that's just web two law we don't have to worry about that now or that community and smart contracts is going to fix everything and we don't need lawyers anymore because we're in web three and i think that's part of that disinformation right. you're talking about because if you're not smart about strategy and i've seen i've already seen creatives being taken advantage of like sharing their stuff and all of a sudden their artworks in someone else's project and right. they were just and they were just being really pro-community and friendly, but not really protecting themselves. And I do think I do think community is great. I think there's a I, I'm I'm a true believer now in a, you know positive community and the value of that. And having community is is actually and growing community is an essential ingredient. It's not just like a nice to right. have. It's because the pipelines in Web two sort of help you reach this mass market so if you're taking over power you have to kind of do that yourself right um but i think the community thing is real but i think we still need structural help and relational help um you know for like minority-owned businesses to like get funding like the statistics on women-owned businesses and black and brown-owned businesses like getting money because most of the money is coming from people who traditionally give to, you know, white men give to other white men. And, right. and that's just uncomfortable for some people to say that, but like, it's the fact. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, the, the, there's just hard data on it. So I think trying to open up, you know, more sources of funding and, and this is an exciting time to do that too, because if you do your NFT project, right, you might be able to sort of self-fund it and not have to rely on some big VC to come in and give you a bunch of money. But I think just through, that there's still structural problems that need to be addressed because mm-hmm. 
that you talked about economic quality, like, you know, it starts very simply with like, will you give me money to do this thing? Right. Um, you know, which is really important for a lot of startups. Right. right. Those two fundamental aspects of, of full participation, um, act, well, maybe even three, access, uh, education, and and ends, money, <laughs> uh, in order to, and, and the space and freedom to make mistakes and keep building. Yeah, absolutely. Which is fundamental to the process yeah. as well. So I'm always, I was in, I'm glad that you reminded me about the opportunity at Wigan to support uh, startups that have been systemically marginalized. Yeah, been great. we're really we're excited about that program because uh, yeah, we pledged uh, ten million dollars in pro bono legal services over ten years, and we're in our third year. We're on track, and it's been it's been great to be part of that program. You know, the other thing you mentioned was about sort of the the moneyed folks coming in and having an advantage. You know, as always and and I know that I guess there's not great perfect information on like who owns, for example, board apes and gutter cats and some of that really high profile, you know, higher value NFT collections, like the ones that give you the rights to do commercial things with your, mm-hmm. uh, which I think to me are really interesting. But I suspect, and I know there there are some you know famous you know basketball players and and you know businessmen and some of them are known. But like you said, I suspect that a lot of the people who own board apes are white men. And so, you know, one of the projects I've been focusing on uh, has been in the music industry. I think uh, we were calling ourselves New Era Entertainment, but I think we're going to, I think we're going to become New Drop City, which is a trademark. Uh, Love it. I love a good trademark. New Drop City, I think it's clear. (laughs) And and I'm very lucky. I mean, like I met this guy, Danny Hamilton. He's been in the crypto space for a long time in the music industry. Um, Ed Henson, who goes by self-service and like produced like salt and pepper back in the nineties. That's so dope. Like, you know, so, so we're, we're basically creating a business to help onboard and educate new artists into NFTs so they can create music and art NFT projects. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of those sort of the business is focused around helping other people. So hopefully it has like a multiplier effect. Right. Um, and, and part of what we were talking about just the other day when we were doing our deck um, for that project was part of this is really like, like this is the real thing we want to do. Like we want to help black and brown, like the people who are creating the music right. and that culture. It's nice that someone like Snoop Dogg has really had visibility and, and can, and can make, can put himself in the metaverse with Eminem and, but he can afford to make mistakes and he's, right. and, you know, he, he's a mega, mega super duper millionaire right now. Um, you know, the real issue and he's the exception, right? He's exceptional. But the real, the real issue is like onboarding, like, at, you know, more and more people who are artists who don't have money and don't have experience. And so if we can build those structures, um, mm-hmm. then that's, that's really exciting. Fantastic point. And, and I definitely look forward to working with you and, and anybody who's doing that in the space because education and, and empowerment is so important and you give folks a little bit. It's just tremendous what people can build and what people can do. It also, you know, it pains me to think of so much talent that's left on the sidelines that it's not just great for them, but studies have shown that when people are empowered to inform and to continue to build, all of civilization benefits. Like this is win-win-win. I know. I love, I think it's so important to have multiple ways to get there. Um, and some people get it and to, and and other people need to be shown like a business case for it. But I, I, but to me, it's, it all aligns perfectly. And it, it's almost, it's like, um, I look at it with like, like women in the workforce, like going mm. back to, you know, 1940s and 1950s. And it's like, if we want to economically compete, like, what are we doing? Right. Like, just taking half our population and removing them from the equation. How, how, how is that going to make us more innovative? It's not, you're like, it's like, you're shooting yourself in the foot. 
Right. And I think it's the same thing here. You, you can only be more innovative, more creative, more successful by empowering, you know, more diverse voices um, and, and, you know, to get them into the space. And, and that's why, like, I'm also excited about other projects that we're supporting, like um, Imari Oliver, um, who I met and we support through our, through our program. He has a company, Bond and Play. He just put on um, the first uh, Rock Art X uh, mm-hmm. conference. It's a fintech music and culture conference. And part of what he wants to do is onboard people, get people wallets, get them education, get them working the space and comfortable with it and create those relationships. And I think we just need like a lot more of that. When you think about the information that creatives need or, or the best practices, information, best practices that you could share if someone is mm-hmm. just starting today, because we know, we both know it costs a lot more to get somebody out of a bad situation than to yeah. avoid it altogether. It's like, see me now or see me later. And later it's going to cost three times more. Gotcha. You want to save people money, time, and energy. What are some of the best practices when you think about someone successfully uh, navigating the, the emerging NFT space? Yeah, I think it aligns a lot with um, the advice that I would give to, you know, just folks in the startup space with some additional layers to it. Um, and, and so I think the basics go like one, um, definitely have simple agreements and sometimes spend an hour to have an attorney look at your simple agreements. Um, like when you start a business and you start creating IP with your buddy and you guys just talk it out or send some emails or tweets back and forth. I've been in so many situations where like a year later, you know, you've both been creating stuff and there's a company and, and the IP isn't assigned to the company and nobody knows who has what percentage and, right. you know, and, and then you're not, and then all of a sudden you're not best friends anymore and right. comes to situation. And I'm like, great, well, you know, show me the agreement. And they're like, there's no agreement. So basic agreements like that, um, like, you know, assignment agreements, NDAs, simple, simple one, two page agreements that any lawyer can give to you super cheap or i can give you a template for right um you know just if you're working with like other agreement issues if you're working with third parties to like build your stuff software developers artists simple agreements that say that you know you own the artwork you own the copyright because the default is that they as creator would have it so simple agreements i think is 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 kind of my number one Mm -hmm. um and then i think two just knowing enough on the kind of issue spotting level about patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets, because at the startup phase, you're really resource constrained in terms of your time, in terms of money, you know, you're working to get your MVP and try and get someone to invest in you and build your company. And, and, you know, the last thing a lot of people think about is like talking to a lawyer or an IP lawyer, but it's also a really important um, time to be really smart and strategic. And so I think it's important before you launch your project like think about like are there ip protections i should put in place to protect my own stuff and i think the third thing i'll say is the part that a lot of people don't think about people are always saying oh can i patent my thing or should i copyright certain things or should i get a trademark is the flip side of that which is kind of like the defensive side of like i want like what else what's out there that i'm about to step in like does someone else have a trademark that's some that's very similar to my brand does my does my feature infringe someone else's patent are there things I have to license into the company to make sure that someone doesn't have a dispute? Because when you do have some level of success and publicity, those people are going to come for you. So it, <laughs> sense, so it makes sense to not, not only think offensively, but think defensively. That is such great advice. And I don't know that there are enough people focus on that, about the due diligence that's required before you invest all your time and energy and money. We've seen it 
I've seen it mostly because my mom is a patent attorney. Uh, I've always worked on the copyright and trademark side, but to see someone stand up a brand and go full steam ahead and then run smack dab into a, a trademark examiner that did the simplest of searches, right? They didn't do a knockout. They just went full steam ahead with something that's like, I don't know, I think I'm going to call my new computer, I don't know, Apple, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. maybe orange? And they'll yeah. probably fight you on that too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that is such great advice about proactively and defensively. And I hear defense kind of a couple of different ways, but one, the due diligence that's required to make sure that you're not investing in something where the territory is already marked. Often, uh, because of our community and saying, all data and information wants to be free. And so nobody, you know, we're going to go straight Satoshi with this and maybe having some type of patent pool or IP pool to protect the space so that there aren't nefarious actors who will come in and lock it down if you don't. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of, there is a gestalt, a gestalt of, um, ah, like patents are bad. Like let's open up everything. Let's open right. source everything. Um, there's that sort of CCO movement that's, you know, popular, like, you know, you want to open source things. And mm -hmm. just because I talk about IP doesn't mean that I don't support these other approaches. Like sure. you can, you can, you can have a successful project and it be a creative commons approach and sure. you can be a create, you can have a successful project and take a very traditional IP approach. But if you're not smart in the beginning about knowing what you have and protecting it, then you don't have the choice of those different approaches later. Brilliant. Well said. The final thing that I want to flesh out with you, and it's a question that I get a lot, or I'm listening to other conversations and I realize people don't appreciate the difference. The difference between the non-fungible token, which in and of itself is an asset, and the referenced asset that it's connected to, which is when we're talking about the intellectual property implications of, of ownership. Can you talk through that? I think it's one of the number one areas where people are misinformed and misunderstand the the connection between the token and the referenced asset yeah no it's a it's a great question and it is, it is a source it's confusing and, and i think a lot of because when because when you use the term nfts a lot of people use it as kind of a shorthand for both of those things together right um and so it, it's easy to get confused like i think i think non-fungible tokens and i think that it's one reason that i think it's confusing it's such a broad asset class. It can mean so many different things, you know, it sort of popped in the art space. So people are like, oh, NFTs are just profile pictures, right? right. And like, well, no, they, they're just tokens. They can be sort of anything. It's just data about something. Um, so, I mean, the, the way I think about it is the NFT is, is basically like an ownership certificate that, that's linked to a digital asset. And that digital asset can be a picture, it can be a video, it can be a ticket to an event that right. gets you in some place. And the important thing about it is it, it is it it shows your your ownership, it tracks provenance of ownership, you know, transparently and forever and perfectly in an ideal world. But it's different than the actual asset itself. The actual right. asset is a digital file. So when I remember when I when I was first came to this space and and I was skeptical at first because I was like, well, why are people buying these things for millions of dollars? And right. what does it mean? And and I realized that I don't really understand why people buy paintings for millions. All right, right. Art itself is <laughs> this weird, weird asset class. So why shouldn't digital art also be confusing? But I was the original one of the things you hear often is like, well, why would I buy the NFT? I can just right click on that file and save it. Um, right. And that, that kind of encapsulates that the misunderstanding you're talking about, because because right. it's not 
you when you buy an NFT, you may or may not also be getting that digital file. Right. But what you're really getting is an ownership certificate. And, you know, we can talk about what, why that's important. But I, I think about it, and at least when I try and explain it to like a, a really skeptical person like my dad, like that generation, yeah. I'm like, well, right now we have perfect, we have incredibly great digital printers with incredibly high resolution. So I can print out the Mona Lisa in, in high resolution that nobody functionally can tell the difference and I put it up in my house right um that's still without proof that that's the Mona Lisa that's still probably worth like 20 bucks right it's probably worth like you know 400 million dollars right the difference is because there's an ownership certificate and you know even though it's hard to bend your mind around because you can create perfect digital copies you owning something um that is in some sense rare um is kind of the magic to it so so yeah, so there are you know, it, is, it is important. There's a difference between the ownership certificate, the pointer, um, and the actual asset itself. Very well said, and I think that's going to help a lot of people when I talk through it. I, I, you know, I roughly approximated, <laughs> yeah, I roughly you know approximated to the deed to a home in the home. Yeah. It's not a you know a direct connect, but it helps people who definitely understand the deed to their home. As yeah, you, right. I think that's a good, yeah, that, that's a good analog. That's the one I try and use, but it does get confusing. And there's it some trademark cases on it, like the Nike StockX case. Yeah. Where StockX has created NFTs that are sort of pointers to Nike sneakers, but they use the swoosh. And, you know, those NFTs are selling for like more than the sneakers. So Nike's right. saying, well, that's, that's not just a pointer, it's a product and it's using our swoosh. Um, so it does get confusing because it is such a broad asset class and there's so many different uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are, you know, working out that confusion is going to be important. Well, this has been the rich discussion that I knew it would be. And I have a million more things to ask, but you have a million things to do today. Uh, and so this is your your open invitation to come back on. I understand that the word on the street is you may or may not have a podcast with someone in the not too distant future. I don't know if you want to drop, you know, if you want to break news on Tech Intersect, that's fine. If you don't, we'll have you back. But it, are, are the, the streets are talking. Are yeah, they it, I think it's happening. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think I'm going to be launching. Um, I've had I've had several. I wouldn't call it failed, but you know, short-lived <laughs> sports podcasts, which okay. were fun. But I think yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna try and launch a podcast uh, focusing on all the different aspects of inclusion in, mm-hmm. in the legal sector legal and technology sector and uh i'm starting it with another lawyer named uh, lisa muller and we should be launching that next month so i'm excited about that but i'm also so happy that you invited me back and i would love to take you up on that because it's such a pleasure to talk to you excellent well i will have my people call your people and and i'll get some people (laughs) exactly okay before we get out of here please tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and your firm and your work Sure. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Mike Kasdan. That's probably easiest. Uh, I'm at Wigan and Dana. So you can find me on their webpage. Law firm Mike is at Wigan and Dana. If you're more interested in the social justice aspects of what I do in my writing, uh, you can find me on the Good Men Project. My bio's there and you can link to all my stuff there. I've also been pretty active and we didn't get a chance to talk about it today, but in mental health and mental well-being in the law. And my initiative there is called Lawyering While Human. And I'm on Twitter there at law underscore while underscore human. Um, So that's it. That's that. Outstanding. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you out there in in the Twitterverse. Absolutely. See you there. Thank you so much for listening to the Tech Intersect podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love it, please tell the world. 
If not, go ahead and tell me. And in either case, drop a comment or ping me on social media at IPProfEvans with the hashtag TechIntersect. And finally, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there impersonating me and others, and I need your help. Now hear this. And remember, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace and blessings or hey, and I will never reach out to solicit your time or your money on social media like ever. I'm not a trader. I am an educator and an attorney licensed in four states. Thank you very much. I'm here to inform, inspire, and empower. No cap and definitely no forex. So be careful, make good choices, and remember, I developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of digital safety in the crypto space. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.